HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. You may have noticed that one Whole Foods Market store is not like the other. We're proud that each of our stores has its own quirks, a direct connection to the surrounding community, and buys and sells their own products. Whether it's artisanal chocolates exclusive to Bowery, small batch pickles in Chelsea, or a featured craft beer on tap at West 97th, you'll find that each store is a little bit different than the next. With six Manhattan locations, Whole Foods Market offers a taste of every neighborhood. Come see us in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. All right, it is Thursday, and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. We are coming to you live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, the back of Roberta's Pizzeria. And we are in studio with Michelle Bulich of the Bulich Mushroom Farm. Michelle, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. So tell me, you guys uh, came down from Catskill, New York, is that right? Yes, yeah, we're about two hours north. Excellent. You took the train in this morning? Yeah, we went right over the... um Rip Van Winkle Bridge and took Hudson right down the Amtrak and then took the subway over. Awesome. And so the Ulich Mushroom Farm, let's talk a little bit about mushroom farming. Um, what kind of an operation are you guys, what, what do you have going on? Like what's the size of your space up there at the farm? We're on about 125 acres. Whoa. And, yeah. And we're right in Catskill, right on the Hudson River. It's absolutely beautiful. Awesome. And we have like six doubles um, buildings and... Um, it's just it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's gorgeous up there. So mushrooms are are not like a kind of other. They're not growing out in the field. They're growing indoors. Is yes, that right? exactly. That they're grown inside, and uh, it's all temperature regulated, about sixty five degrees. So in the wintertime we heat, in the summertime we use air conditioning, and we try to keep it a constant uh, temperature in there. And everything's dark. And the men used to wear what was like mining helmets, and now they're just like uh, headlamps. So it's pretty neat. And that's the only <laughs> light in there. Everything's kept in the dark. Oh wow. <laughs> So that you don't have to worry about farmer's tans on the, far- the yeah. mushroom farming. It's not a big issue for you. No, not really. <laughs> no, you said the farm is 120 plus acres. Are you are you farming on that whole land or? No, I would say probably between 40 and 50 acres of it is is uh, has the mushroom uh, buildings on it. And what yeah. types of mushrooms are you growing? We grow whites, 
creminis, portobellos, oysters, and shiitakes, five different kinds. The whites, the creminis, and shiitake, and excuse me, whites, creminis, and portobellos are grown in a medium of like um, uh, straw, uh, manure, horse manure, a l- uh, little bit of uh, chicken manure, peat moss, and uh-huh. it's all uh, composted out. Okay. And uh, placed into a building that gets steam of like 150, 160 degrees steam uh-huh. to kill all bacteria. So everything's clean. Okay. And then it gets transported and we put it in what's called beds uh, in, in the building. So we have like three or four levels and um, it literally looks like a bed of um, a mixture. So they're like levels like bunk beds? or Yes. Like, okay. It's exactly like a bunk bed. Yeah. And then um, everything gets inoculated. We have uh, the spawn that gets placed in there and mixed in. And then we all have, uh, there's temperature gauges in the beds uh-huh. so that you can keep watch the, the temperature. And those mushrooms take about eight weeks before the first, um, the first crop. And then once they're picked, uh, another week is the second crop. You usually get about four crops. Okay. Um, in each bed. In each bed. For, so the spawn is is like seeds? Like, or? Yeah, like a mycelium. Mm-hmm. Okay. The spawn, yeah. Okay, so that's something that, you know, you're not, you're not like plop, 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 plotting no, down individual right. seeds. Right. So when they grow, I mean, do they grow like all bunched up together? Like it's over, or is it like one mushroom here, one mushroom over here? I mean, I've never seen kind of a mushroom farm. So. Yeah, it, well, for the most part, they're all popped up separately, but you do, you do, will get ones that are like two and three together. Okay. And it's funny, sometimes we bring down like the shiitakes, definitely like yesterday I had one clump and it was like five mushrooms coming out of one little, it was pretty neat. So, you know, sometimes customers get really excited when they see that and they want to buy that. The odd looking vegetable yeah. is always like, yeah. I know working in kitchens, that was always, you'd find that carrot that looked like you know a pair of legs or whatever it was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly you know it was pretty exciting stuff okay yeah. so so that is that's kind of the growing climate for the for the whites and the creminis mm-hmm. and the portobellos and the portobellos okay. the other ones are grown inside as well uh the, the shiitakes are grown on like an oak logs and um and they, they take the longest they're about uh 12 weeks before they actually start to grow 11 okay. 12 weeks and uh, same thing, though, you, you know, you'll still continuously get them until they're all done. And then then you inoculate new logs. And then the oysters are in, believe it or not, plastic, large plastic bags that are like straw and uh, like the mixture uh-huh. of grain. And uh, and then the, the bags get like cut and you inoculate them and then you kind of cut little slits in the bags and they'll grow up through that. So it actually pokes its way out of the mm-hmm. bag? And so the bag initially is basically to create some type of climate, I'm assuming, yeah, or like retain get, the moisture. Yes, yes exactly, okay. exactly. And uh, I mean, it really is a very neat operation, uh, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have, how many different buildings are there? We have, let me see, uh, four doubles. Four doubles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the different growing types are separated by buildings or does everything kind of rotate or um yeah well we what happens is we'll have one building that's coming up okay and um while that one's coming up the other one's sort of the middle of the road and the another one's in the beginning actually we have um 
I, I'm mistaken. We have six doubles. So okay. everyone is at a different stage. So we always so have always a, have Exactly. Product. We always have a product. Absolutely. Yep. So then they, we have people that are, you know, men that are they're at different ranges of what they need to be doing, whether we're putting dirt on, which is um, filling up, the, you know, putting the room in or uh, dumping out, which that's, that happens when we're finally done and we can no longer get mushrooms from that crop. Uh-huh. Then um, everything gets dumped out. It all gets cleaned so out. the entire room gets the, cleaned out. Yeah. Yes, All the of that kind room. of bedding that the mushrooms are exactly. in. Exactly. And it gets uh, spread out on the fields. Okay. Um, and, you know, use that for, I mean, manure dirt is the best dirt for gardens and, and things like that, too. So, sure. Yep. So it's it's very sustainable. We use everything. Where do you guys get, I mean, as far as like purchasing in the, like the manure, the chicken, like how does that come to you? Well, we there are uh, a couple of large horse farms across the river, so my husband goes over and um, with a big, uh, like as a man, we call a manure truck, but it's got the the arm and and he loads the hay and the manure from that, and it, it's a win win for both farms. We need it and those farms need it taken away. So, sure, yeah. And then there's a uh, Lasher's Farms, which is a huge chicken farm, and they uh, produce eggs for uh, laboratories for testing. Okay. So we go and we'll every once in a while not very often uh we use a little bit of chicken manure so we'll go and uh, collect that as well okay so mushrooms like you know i know that mushrooms grow in the wild but are mushrooms like other plant species where there's some that have been essentially kind of domesticated or cultivated for our you know agricultural use and then there's wild ones that are like really different or oh absolutely we do have a lot of customers asking if we have morels and if we have the woods and uh we do not go out and forage mushrooms with that said we do have an area on our property that seems to grow morels very nicely but morels are very very finicky with the weather okay so if there's too much rain they're not up if there's not enough rain they're not up so it's um hit or miss with them so if we we happen to come across them and and it is a good crop we will um definitely harvest them and bring them down but like i said morels are high demand so if we do have them we probably have two baskets of full baskets of them and they're gone by 9, 9.30 right in the morning. And as a matter of fact, this spring, we couldn't find them. But there are other areas where I heard they were um, prevalent, but we didn't see them. So I don't know if we got too much rain because we got a load of rain this I heard spring. they came a little early this year. I know when okay. I was up at Flying Pigs Farm um, for the season, like they they said that the, we have a kind of neighbors who do a lot of foraging and they're like, well, mm-hmm. we thought we would just check and they were there really early and then they weren't anymore that's like my biggest lament of this year is like being down in the city and not being able to go out and forage for some mushrooms oh i bet yeah so i had to come to you guys that's right great mushrooms that's right um all right so that's kind of growing mushrooms what i'm curious like what other types of equipment i mean you so you have like the big truck that you use for spreading manure Mm -hmm. and then forklifts yeah uh, backhoes tractors uh payloader for the manure um a big uh manure turner which is what actually turns the manure and lets it out onto the uh, platform so that it can cook out and uh, almost like ferment, cook out, uh-huh. and uh, that, that composts it out. And then, um, you know, uh, there's a, we have a lot of lot of equipment, a lot so of it's, a, it's a big operation. It's a big operation. Yeah, and definitely. So you said it's the four brothers who are doing, running the farm now, and is that like the main kind of... Uh, 
uh, source of employment for, for, I mean, that's like supporting four families, the farm, or? Yeah, so it supports um, actually two full families okay. and um, and my my oldest uh, brother-in-law. And um, Jeff actually left the business a few years ago. Um, and he's, you know, he's in his own business. So, but um, he still comes back to the farm and helps out. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Is there much, I mean, so you said as far as, you know, you're growing indoors, so... So you're adjusting the temperature, whether it's, you know, in the middle of the winter or in the middle of the summer. Is there any other kind of seasonal components that you have to deal with? Um, Well, not so much. I mean, we are very fortunate that because it's farmed inside, the elements really do not bother you too much. But, I mean, if it's very humid outside and really hot, you have to make sure that humidity doesn't get inside and you kind of have to acclimate everything accordingly. And the same with the winter, harsh winters. You just have to make sure uh, that we're at a certain temperature inside. But thank God we don't have the issues that a lot of the vegetable farmers do, especially with this rain, uh, those poor farmers not being able to get out to plant and you know, they definitely have um, have a tough time with the weather. Yeah, I heard. I was just talking to Seth Jacobs from Slack Hollow Farm, who we've had on the show before, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, he's been doing farming since, I think, 83. He's like, this is definitely the worst yeah. growing season it's I've crazy. ever seen. We've gotten crazy. hit April. We got hit May. Yeah, we got and hit, hit in June. June. I know. Yeah. It's just crazy. Uh, a lot of them can't even get, it was just too damp, and they couldn't get the, the uh, you know, the tractors out there. So a lot of the produce is going to be late. Yeah. Yeah, so Aww. that's unfortunate. But the mushrooms are here. Now we have our mushrooms, <laughs> 365. <laughs> so, so that's great. So um, you, the majority, so obviously you're, it sounds like you're producing more mushrooms than I'm seeing you sell down at the farmer's market. Well, it's the same kind. We bring, okay. we bring all the kinds that we, we grow, we bring down. But um, a majority of our business is wholesale. So like all of the restaurants anywhere within a probably 20 mile radius easy of where we are come and they buy they come direct to the farm absolutely yeah okay and then we also you know three days a week we're up in albany uh to the manans market for wholesale and that's a wholesale market so it's other growers who come in with like how many like give us a sense of scale like how many mushrooms roughly are you bringing to a wholesale market is it Oh, I, you know what? Every day it's a different amount. Yeah. Because every day, you know, depending on some some weeks are slow. Yeah. You know, uh, definitely the economy is, has had an impact on that. And there's other weeks where, like Mother's Day week, or, you know, things like that, where you know you're going to be having to push out a lot of mushrooms. So, uh-huh. um, but we, we're constantly moving them. And, um, you know, uh, Mike's Mike has five sisters, and uh, uh, his one sister, Colleen, has Fuhrbush Farms up in um, Fuhrbush, New York, right outside of Albany. And she buys because she has a local uh, farm stand. Our, okay. Our family's harvest, and uh, so they buy mushrooms. So we're still we're still keeping in the family. They all have something to do with it. So That's it's great. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's a great family. I'm very fortunate. Yeah, to yeah and you married into it. in, married Absolutely. in. Absolutely, they're great. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll tuck into some more details on the mushrooms. Sounds great.
is a message from HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Tune in to the main course this Sunday at 12 p.m. with Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer as they first pay tribute to cheesemaker Igvella with Gary Edwards, then speak with Mitchell Davis, the vice president of the James Beard Foundation, and finally host four cooks from Union Square Cafe. Learn how the back room of the house makes it all happen in the dining room. Again, that's this Sunday at 12 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. All right, we're back. You're tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We are live in studio with Michelle Bulich of the Bulich Mushroom Farm. Michelle, before the break, you were saying that this past Mother's Day was like a big mushroom holiday for you. What what are what are the other like mushroom holidays? Are there times of year where people are like wanting the mushroom? The biggest is definitely Thanksgiving. Oh, we, yeah, of course. Uh, we are swamped. I mean, it's just, a, you know, from probably October right through, you know, you're pushing the produce and you're trying to get as much of a crop as you can. And th- I mean, Thanksgiving is crazy. It's crazy down in, the, in, in, in Manhattan. I mean, when we go down into the farmer's market, that's our biggest day of the year is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, people have it in their gravy and sauteed on the side and in their stuffing. And, and uh, we used to just go down to the farmer's market. We started in 1985. Oh, wow. You've been going to the market for a while then. Yes, yes. My uh, two sister-in-laws, Karen and Colleen, uh, started the market. And uh, my sister-in-law, Tina, and they would go down all the time. And Bernadette was involved in the market too as well. Now she has a flower farm. So uh, she's coming in the market with her flowers. But the girls had started it. And then uh, in the late 80s, the boys started getting involved. And we just had white mushrooms at that point. Right. And then once we started bringing the other kinds down, it just, it kind of just took off. And uh, the people living in Manhattan, they love their oyster. They <laughs> love their shiitake. They're very up on nutrition, and it's important to them that they they buy from Bulich. We we do not use any pesticides or sprays of any kind, so that's important to them. And they know they get a fresh product, and um, it's just amazing how excited they are. We have people come in from Brooklyn, from Astoria, from just all over just because they needed to get our mushrooms. They didn't wow. come for any other reason. It's wow. amazing, and we really, truly are appreciative of our customers I think we have the best customers in the market that's for good. sure I mean I feel like um, that that like the New York farmers markets are such a kind of interesting mix of people you know and like you said it really runs the gamut especially at the Union Square market it, because it's such a huge market mm-hmm. uh, and you know growing NYC has done such a nice job is really cultivating like a diverse market so every day that the market is open you go there's kind of different people there doing different oh, things yeah. and it's nice to have someone come in just for your stand I mean I yeah. feel like that makes it feel really special yeah, it is and it's funny like you know you know their kids you know their parents they know your family they're always asking it's it's like a family <laughs> your customers are like your family so the let's talk about the shelf life of mushrooms i mean what you you'd mentioned that they are a fresh product so what you know from when they're harvested to when they're kind of hitting the plate what what's the range there as far as you guys sell them within a certain period of time and then you recommend people use them and yeah how, you know how do you store them like once you have this like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of mushrooms like how are they we have a cooler, okay. so when they are picked, they actually have to be cooled down, so they go in the cooler, and um, it's the next day they're, they're being shipped out. So <clears throat> when we bring the mushrooms down to New York, 
they uh, they were picked the day before. Oh so wow! Very very they fresh. They are very yeah. fresh. And we are one of the few um, stands in the green market that um, provide paper bags. That is the best way to store the mushrooms. Okay. It allows them to breathe. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they're just stored, and we tell them on the shelf in your refrigerator, not your vegetable bin, because the vegetable bin tends to hold moisture. Okay, so you don't want them, like once they're done growing, the moisture is no longer right. a friend to the mushroom? Right, you, you know, what happens, I think, if they're held in plastic or put in a vegetable bin, that tends to hold moisture. The plastic has them um, get condensation inside. Okay. And then once the mushrooms get wet, they kind of get like a sliminess to them. They're not, they're not any good. So your best bet is the paper bag. And sometimes I ask that you double bag it. Uh-huh. If the bag gets damp in the refrigerator, just switch out the bags. Okay. And the white mushrooms, uh, creminis, they'll last a week to 10 days fresh in the bag. Okay. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. And the shiitakes... Well, actually, if you forgot about the shiitakes, which I've done a couple times, they kind of <laughs> tends to get to the back Shut of the fridge. The back. They dry out. So within a few weeks, you actually have a dried mushroom like you would buy if you went to the store. Oh, wow. And you just reconstitute them with a little bit of wine or a little bit of water. They're never going to get their full pungency, but you reconstitute them and they actually have a strong flavor. What is that with the, I mean, I, you know, I've never been a big user of dried mushrooms. Something I feel like I just don't quite get it. I mean, what is your sense as far as like the flavor you're going to get from a dried product versus a fresh product? Well, to be honest with you, since we grow them nice and fresh, I don't use dried mushrooms. <laughs> right, either. right. So, uh, but a lot of people do because uh, the, it's a very, it's much, much more concentrated. Concentrated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're really good in like soups and things like that. Whereas, you know, when you have the the fresh mushroom, you want to saute them, you want to roll on a salad. Right. That kind of thing. I remember my old sous chef, Howard Kalashnikov uh, from Gramercy Tavern, we were talking about mushrooms. And how do you make, he's like, what makes a mushroom taste more like a mushroom? I'm like, I don't know, Howard. He's like, more mushroom. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. Figuring out a way to put more mushrooms in your mushroom dish. So kind of using the dried and the ends and the heads and everything, Mm -hmm. kind of like figuring out how you don't waste anything. And I think that's one of the really big things with mushrooms is, you know, you're you're paying the per pound price, but really there's no waste on a mushroom. You can use the whole thing, right? Exactly. Although I do I do know that people do say they throw their shiitake stems out or the portobello stems, and I'm like, uh-uh, big mistake. The stems of a shiitake have a lot of flavor, but they're tough. Right. They're great chopped up in like soup stock or pasta sauce. Great flavor. All right. The only thing I don't use at the very, very end of the stem is the woody part. Okay. That's the only thing I clip off. Otherwise, you can you can actually shred them mm-hmm. or chop them up, and they're fine. You they're put fine them right. Yeah, absolutely. Also, with the um, portobello, the stem can be chopped up, sautéed, and and put in with salad. Yeah, I usually just put them in my freezer until I have like enough uh, to to. Um to like make a soup or to make a something with because I don't have like I do use right. enough mushrooms at a time to like right exactly to, to load it up. Um, what about cleanliness? So you said you know the, the the mushrooms are grown in manure, but but the manure has been you know sanitized essentially, and then after that, I mean. Do you wash mushrooms? Do you not wash mushrooms? I've seen like special mushroom brushes for cleaning. Like, what's the mo? Uh, I think. <laughs> Not to offend anybody, but excuse me, I think if you're single or you don't have kids, people tend to use a mushroom brush. I don't know. I'm married (laughs) with three kids. I'm not having time for a mushroom brush. (laughs) So if you look at our white mushrooms, they are, I mean, it's amazing. They look like they've been washed. 
uh, my husband and his brothers are very um, picky about how the mushrooms are picked, not to grab a lot of dirt when you do that. Okay. And so our pickers are very, very clean, so they don't grab a lot of dirt. So if there's any dirt on them, you just kind of wa- wiping them off with a little paper towel. And uh, sometimes you get them a little bit um, dirty, and you just take like a damp paper towel, and you wipe them wipe off. Wipe them off. It's no biggie. Cool. Um, so then that's like, that's not something that people need to, I, I like the, the mushroom brush definitely always felt like a, like a, a yeah, pretend. It's, yeah. I mean, it just I, takes way too much time. I can remember sitting in the kitchen next to a huge stack of mushrooms and like with my little brush and like, maybe I'm like, man, I'm really making the decision to do this right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, sometimes you do get like, sometimes the creamies will be a little dirty. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I tell people if they're if they're that dirty and the damp paper towel is not working, I run a stream of water, very slight stream with a colander underneath, and I quickly just give rinse. them a little brush off. Just yeah, just quick rinse, and you do that only when you're ready to use them. If you're going to soak the mushroom, it absorbs water. It's going to be soggy. Definitely, what you do not want to do. Okay, but just a quick rinse, they're fine. Okay. What about too? You had mentioned earlier, like the health benefits of. Um, of mushrooms like what are what are some of the nutritional and do they vary from type uh well i think the most common everybody talks about is the shiitake uh-huh because they're known for medicinally reducing cancer cells and tumors they're extremely really? extremely healthy yes oh i had no idea but all the mushrooms are you know uh the oyster mushrooms for example they help to lower cholesterol huh naturally lower cholesterol so which is great because a lot of people these days don't want to be on medicine if they can help out with any kind of natural food that can reduce so that's definite for oyster but like your whites your creminis your portobellos high in um, niacin and thymine and a zinc and more potassium in a mushroom than a banana so Get for out. for pregnant women, mushrooms are very very good for you because when you're pregnant, it's important to have a lot of potassium. Okay. Otherwise, you cramp you get cramps in the middle of the night and stuff your legs and everything. So potassium is very important. So mushrooms are really really good for you. That's good to know. I feel like I you know if you hear from nutritionists often that like the more color in your food, the more the nutrients. So I think it's it's sometimes it's like hard to to you know you look at the mushrooms they're like white or brown or beige and you're like oh what's really in here exactly so it's yeah. good to have that that they're so they really are very good for you and you know no fat and zero cholesterol and and they taste really good so <laughs> you can't really everybody's like how do you cook them i'm like you really can't mess them up you you saute a little olive oil a little garlic um some spices uh the oyster mushroom i have a lot of customers that roast them so oh. I just put some herbs on them, put them right in, drizzle a little olive oil on them, put them in the, in the pan and roast them. My favorite mushroom is the oyster. Yeah. Absolute favorite. Slice and saute, a little olive oil and butter if you want, some garlic. They're the best mushrooms in over pasta or with fish and absolute best in omelets. Yeah, how oh, it's so good. How much mushroom is going into the mouths of your family at your house? You guys eat a lot <laughs> of mushrooms. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> or is everyone like, no? This is you know, Mike gets home at the end of the day. He's like, if you feed me another mushroom, I'm going to totally lose it. <laughs> I wish it was like that, but there's sometimes like I'm like, okay, can we get some mushrooms here? Am I going to have to go in the building with the helmet and cook them myself? <laughs> Yeah, they seem to not not stick around the farm, which is great. Uh, economically, that's great. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, but definitely the oyster is our favorite. Absolutely. And I have uh, a one child, my oldest, that um, really will have them on pizza, and that's about it. 
not a big fan, but the rest of us love them. Love them all the time. I know mushrooms were something I had struggled with as a kid, but have since overcome my fears. Oh, me too. When I first met my husband, I was like, I don't like mushrooms, but the only that wasn't a deal breaker. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, listen, you better like them because if I can't sell them, we got to eat them. (laughs) And we, um, I was just used to the rubber ones that they're rubbery when they're canned on pizza. Oh yeah, and then he made a meal one day, and I was it, it blew my mind. I could not believe the flavor, and I've been hooked ever since. Awesome. So if uh, I know that uh, Edible Edible Manhattan, I think, did a really nice spread on you guys a few weeks ago that people can kind of take a look at through their website. They also have a wonderful video that has some pictures of the farm and talks a little bit more about the growing practices and what's going on there. And then if people want to get a taste of your mushrooms, they can come down to the Union Square Green Market on Wednesdays or Saturdays, find you right across from Petco. Man, Michelle, thank you so much for coming in today. Was, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I think I'm excited to eat a little pizza, maybe get some <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. We'll be back next week on The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer. On the PR Newswire, I read about a new drink that is being brewed up in Utah. It's called Creo Brew, C-R-I-O-B-R-U, and it's turning heads in the coffee world. Creo Brew is a healthy and delicious brewed cocoa drink. It has the essence and health properties of dark chocolate and brews just like coffee. It's made with one ingredient, 100% cocoa beans, which are roasted and milled to produce flavorful cocoa grounds. Because it is roasted and brewed, it has the consistency, roasted flavor, and complexity of a coffee. And yet, because it is made with cacao beans, its primary flavor is chocolate. And just as with coffee, sweetener and creamer can be added to taste, or you can drink it black for a bittersweet and purportedly low-calorie beverage. Just as with coffee, sweetener and creamer can be added to taste, or it can be drunk black for a bittersweet, low-calorie drink. If you want more information about this new revelation on the beverage market, I suggest that you visit their website at www.creobrew.com. That's spelled C-R-I-O-B-R-U.com. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. HeritageRadioNetwork.com has its own architecture show dedicated to the built environment, hosted by Curtis B. Wayne. Check out a small clip of Burning Down the House. So if we look at tall buildings and we talk about the wind blowing over them, we have all these different variants on, is it a horizontal rotor, like the big wind turbines that you see off of... Aarhus in Denmark, I think it's where it is. And the local people are very proud of it. Or Falmouth, where the locals are not happy at all. Out west, there are enormous wind farms, but they're far from from habitations. And so the low-frequency sound that's generated by those turbines is not a problem. Um, but what, what we don't want in terms of taking this notion, this, this notion of the future and making it beautiful and bright and, and clean and, and silent is uh, to create...
Want to hear more? Well, tune in live to Burning Down the House every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. Or check out past episodes in our archive or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. The following is a message from HeritageFoodsUSA.com. The difference between wild Alaskan salmon and farmed Atlantic salmon is just as great as the differences between commodity pork and heritage breed pork. Huge! HeritageFoodsUSA.com is lining up a major social buy of sustainably harvested salmon in July and offering it at a phenomenal price to consumers. Check out HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more details on how to get in on this opportunity. Experience salmon the way it should be. 